going to love this. Just love it. What's not to love? I came here tonight. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Not scared one whit. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am. Stuck in the middle with you once again, live on the broadcast, right here on KPFK. Pacifica Radio, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest in China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Liberal Justice Radio, and now, of course, on iTunes, you can run... But you can't hide, and you've got no excuse for not listening. Glad you could join me. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. A jam-packed show here for you today. First, some breaking news. Georgia Governor Nathan Deal has signed a bill allowing guns (laughs) in places that include churches School zones, bars, and parts of airports today. What could possibly go wrong? For all of you people complaining that there were not enough guns in the airports, uh, happy day for you. Move to Georgia. Uh, Anyway, that's the breaking news. Uh, We've got some great guests for you this week. Last uh, week, we talked about, actually, I read... The 20 points from the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee's 6,600-page report. It uh, took six years to do. $40 million was spent. It was a report on the U.S. torture and interrogation program. These uh, talking points from this report, which has not yet been released, the not the talking points, the points were leaked. The conclusions, the findings from this uh, huge Senate intelligence report made from uh, firsthand, from uh, CIA documents, firsthand testimony by the CIA, witnesses and so forth, of this torture program that took place during the Bush-Cheney era. I read those 20 points on air last week because while the reports were leaked about a week and a half ago, came out of McClatchy, not one single network news program thought they were worth reading, thought despite, you know, violating... Uh, U.S. law, violating international law, uh, as was found by the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee. Not one network news program thought it was worth even mentioning the release of those findings. I thought it was, so I read them all on the air. Uh, This week, we will be joined by investigative journalist Jason Leopold, who didn't ignore the story. Uh, we'll talk to him about his recent interview with Dr. James Elmer Mitchell, one of the two men that actually devised that torture program. I'm sorry, the uh, so-called U.S. Enhanced Interrogation Program. 
We'll play some previously unaired clips from that interview, which Jason wrote about in The Guardian this week. That's coming up ahead. We've also got some new poll numbers buttressing the point that we've been making here on this program now for weeks and weeks that the Democrats are a bunch of whiners and ought to start running on their accomplishments, for example, like Obamacare, whether you like it or not. Uh, it is serving the purpose it was set out to serve, and Democrats who are scared to death of it um, shouldn't be. And we've got some new poll numbers that underscore that. Also, Desi Doyen will be joining us for our 500th episode of the Green News Report. It's a, a special look back and forward at uh, both the Green News Report that we've been doing since 2009 and uh, the state of the uh, climate reporting in the media in general. Uh, our 500th report, by the way, uh, was yesterday. We'll be playing it today. The 500 report happened to fall on Earth Day. So uh, that is also straight ahead. But first, California Secretary of State Deborah Bowen is termed out this year. She's uh, been the two-term Secretary of State out here. She did a top-to-bottom review of the electronic voting systems in California when she first took office back in 2007, uh, found alarming security issues with every single voting system that she looked at, uh, including that every single one allowed someone, if they could get access, to get all the way down to the central tabulator and flip an election in seconds time. Since that uh, study, uh, certain security uh, issues were put in place, certain security precautions were put in place, uh, not enough for my tastes. And now we've got Los Angeles uh, developing a new voting system. Los Angeles is larger, by the way, than 32 states, Los Angeles County. It's the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation. Uh, and Los Angeles is working on a new system. And the state just passed a law late last year. We talked about it on this show, SB 360. It was signed by Governor Jerry Brown. It does away, insanely, it does away with all federal testing of electronic voting systems in California, and it gives huge, unprecedented power to the Secretary of State to approve any voting system without even state certification. That's what's in store for California, and uh, we're going to have a new Secretary of State implementing this law. By the way, the guy who uh, sponsored this law and passed it through the State House out here last year is uh, State Senator Alex Padilla. He just happens to be the leading Democratic candidate currently for Secretary of State. So he's given himself unprecedented executive powers if he wins uh, Secretary of State this year. Uh, thanks to this new uh, dangerous bill that I think I and only I have been uh, screaming about. Nonetheless, whoever gets this job replaces Deborah Bowen is going to have a huge effect on California and on the rest of the country, which always looks to California when it comes to voting systems. So this is important and today, important not just to California, but to everyone. This is important. So today in Sacramento, uh, we had a debate. There was a debate between the candidates for Secretary of State. This is the second debate. There was one uh, a few weeks ago the, uh, where all uh, six candidates, um, six of the top candidates participated, including State Senator Leland Yee, who is no longer in the race because he has been arrested 
for weapons trafficking. Yes, gun running. So he's out. There's five left. And uh, so they had a debate, an important debate up there in Sacramento today. And we are pleased now to be joined by one of those candidates, the Green Party's candidate for California Secretary of State, David Curtis, who was also the Greens 2010 candidate for governor in Nevada. He's now running to replace California's term-limited Democratic Secretary of State, Deborah Bowen, and we're pleased to have him here on the broadcast live from Sacramento, where that debate has just wrapped up. David Curtis, welcome, sir, to the broadcast. Thank you, Mr. Friedman. Uh, oh, please call me Brad. Uh, David, What? Uh, how, how did it go today? How, how did you do in that debate up there that was put on by the Sacramento Press Club uh, this afternoon in Sacramento? I think it went as well as it could possibly have gone, uh, despite the fact that I didn't participate in the debate. What? Wait, wait, hang on a second. You're up there in Sacramento. The Sacramento Press Club, headed up by a, a member of the Associated Press, uh, puts on this debate, and you're not in it. I think I understand. I think they must have done the Republican and the Democrat, uh, the top two candidates, I guess, and they left out uh, the Green Party. Is that is that one, what happened up there in Sacramento, David? Well, my attorney and I are unable to determine what objective criteria they used for their candidate selection process. So when they didn't choose you to participate... Uh, I should note, because I wrote about this, and, and of course I'm kidding, I know about this because I wrote about it at bradblog.com. It wasn't just the top Republican and the top Democrat. There was another Democrat uh, and an independent, supposed independent, a guy by the name of Dan Schnur, who is actually a Republican. He's running this year as an independent. Uh, both of them were allowed in. Four of the five top candidates were allowed in. You, David Curtis, were not allowed in despite currently coming in third in a recent field poll, correct? Yes. Not only was I not uh, included in the debate, I was not invited to participate in the debate. I was not contacted by the organizers for the event. Um, there are currently eight balloted candidates, uh, although Mr. Uh, excuse me, State Senator Yee has excused himself from campaigning. His name will still be on the ballot. So there are currently eight Balloted candidates, only four were invited and included into the debate. Four candidates. This was uh, for the in advance of the statewide primary coming up on uh, on June second. And I should add that we have now in California a top two primary where whoever finishes the first and second vote getters, second place vote getters, go on to the general election, uh, even if they're both of the same party, even if they're of any party. Uh, I spoke with the Sacramento uh, Press Club to try to get an explanation, David Curtis, for why you, as Green Party candidate, were not allowed, not invited into this debate. Here's the statement that I received back. They said, prior to the release of the field poll, in which you came in third place, uh, the Sacramento Press Club, a nonprofit dedicated to providing scholarships for aspiring journalists, invited four of the candidates for Secretary of State to participate in a debate. Given our severe time constraints with a luncheon format, we sought to hold the most informative event possible. At no time did Mr. Curtis contact us through our phone number or email address. After he posted a message on our Facebook page over the weekend, members of our volunteer board were in deliberations about how to best address the situation given our time constraints. As we were discussing the best approach to take, Mr. Curtis began a tirade of insulting and threatening social media posts about our organization, 
Upon receiving a phone call from our program director, Mr. Curtis became belligerent and rude, making a conversation impossible. Our decision was clear, given our intent to hold a civil and informative discussion on the issues uh, in the race. Our organization is entitled to invite whichever speakers we choose and is under no mandate to invite uh, to invite everyone. That's from the Sacramento Press Club. As far as why you, David Curtis, Green Party candidate for Secretary of State, was excluded uh, from today's debate. Do you buy that? Well, they, they seem to be a little confused or ignorant of federal regulations regarding uh, how nonprofits conduct themselves when they decide to meddle in an election. Um, there are very specific guidelines, and the the main failing here, besides the fact that they didn't bother to either research or invite all the candidates, is that they apparently didn't use an objective criteria for the selection. And they at no time have demonstrated what criteria, if any, they used to pick the first, second, fourth, and fifth candidates out of an eight-candidate field. Um, when I learned that the quote-unquote debate was happening, it was more of a luncheon than a debate. Um, uh, it was on, I think, the 12th of this month. Uh, however, some of the other candidates had tweeted about it on, I believe, the 9th. But on the, on the day of the 9th, I was involved in drafting a uh, ballot statement for the Alameda Voters Guide pretty heavily. That's a really important publication we put out each year, the Greens do. Um, so I didn't see those tweets until uh, a couple days later. As soon as I saw those tweets, I had a monkey freak out and did go <laughs> ballistic and tried to reach this this club, this club of journalists. Um, I, I didn't really even know about the club, um, but I, I learned uh, that it's a social organization, not a not a quote unquote news organization. So the social club decides to host an, a luncheon. Um, they don't even know how they're supposed to conduct it because it's affecting a political campaign. Um, and that's all fine and well. And then I tried to contact them. Well, they don't even have an operable voicemail. I think this is like Saturday or Sunday. Um, it was the Easter weekend. Um, or no, well, it was, a, it was like the 12th and the 13th, whatever days those are. Yeah, which was I, the weekend before Easter. when. Yeah, so I'm trying to contact them. I tried to contact them for about 24 hours. I was dialing their, their non-functioning voicemail and not able to leave a voice. I just kept getting busy, 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 busy. And then I looked at their website on that Sunday. It was non-functioning, and the uh, I didn't meet with their director today, and she confided that they, they were doing uh, website maintenance that day, so it wasn't my imagination. Um, so by the time I received the wonderful phone call from Mr. Ravel, an associate of their club, um, I didn't even believe that it was a real organization, and I was livid. I was pretty upset. Uh, regardless of being upset, um, I listened to him scold me for about five minutes on how rude I was. Well, let uh, me let me pick up on that point because uh, a couple of things. One, uh, the Sacramento Press Club was very quick in getting back to me with that statement that I just read, in which they described you as rude uh, and threatening on social media. Uh, I'm still waiting for a reply when I ask them, "Oh, could they cite any of these rude and threatening?" comments you made in social media. They did not get back to me further when I asked specifically what was the criteria for inviting candidates to the California Secretary of State debate. 
they did not respond to that either. And I looked through, David uh, Curtis, I looked through your your tweet, uh, your Twitter stream. Uh, I did not find you to be either threatening or uh, or rude. You were basically uh, calling them out for not inviting you. And now, did yeah. you delete any tweets that were threatening to this organization uh, that you didn't um, tell me about? I, I can guess what it was. I, I use the A word. I use the word attorney. <laughs> and, and some people find that word to be mildly threatening. Um, I also said that they were violating federal law and in danger of losing their nonprofit tax status. So I, I guess that would be considered mildly threatening, although I was just trying to be helpful and educate them because their website says they're interested in education. Um, yep. Other than that, I, I did at one point, I tweeted something that had the another A word, and it was uh, basically suggesting they need to cover their position uh, to protect their interests. Uh, let me ask you, David, and, and you and I, we've had a conversation before. We've had a conversation not too long ago on Twitter. I wrote about it at bradblog.com uh, and uh, on something that I disagree with you strongly about. But the fact that they would not include you in today's debate, to me, is an outrage. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. So to sort of make up for that uh, with our huge transmitter we have here at KPFK, uh, give me an idea in the next... Uh, in a few minutes we have left, give me the uh, top one or two reasons that you're running for Secretary of State as the Green Party candidate uh, that you might have been able to talk about today at this press club up in Sacramento had they allowed you to participate in this uh, four-person debate. Well, I think one major one is what you intimated in your lead-in, that Senator Padilla is subject to some extremely powerful money interests, um, whereas a green candidate is completely disconnected from that money motivation. I'm not motivated by corporate power or money interests. I don't take any of their money. I only So if somebody bothers to vote for me, they get me, they get the human that's making autonomous decisions on their behalf as their representative. I'm not speaking for Microsoft or Apple or whomever I might be speaking with if I was the leading Democratic state senator candidate. Are you suggesting that Alex Padilla, currently the leading Democratic state candidate, is uh, listening to Microsoft and Apple instead of the people? There are entities that are jockeying for position to secure those contracts to implement that technology. That's a, I don't even know what dollar amount that's worth. If you, how much would it be worth if you could corner all the voting technology contracts for the whole state? Well, they're starting in Los Angeles County, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of money involved there. So whoever's going to be the spokesmodel for that whole mission is going to be well positioned in this race. So, David Curtis, what do you think about this uh, SB 360 law that I, I did talk about that would allow uh, systems to be used in California elections uh, that have not been certified by the federal authorities, as has been the tradition for years here, and not even certified by the secretary, uh, not even certified by any state authorities other than one person. Uh, the secretary of state can sign off on the use of any system without federal or state certification uh, to be used in a live election. Is that a law that you would support uh, or work to overturn if you became secretary of state? Well, any law that I would work to 
you know, to support or object to, you know, I'd have to see the specific language in each case. So I'm not going to say yes or no, but I will tell you that I favor the goal of multiple, multiple mode voting, multiple modalities. I also think that if we do have a technology route, it's got to be open source so that if it's compromised, people immediately know and there's many eyes on it, which is not the same as having one person in one office have all the power over it. Well, you, I think any, any yeah. tech solution should include an open source so that it's immediately you know if it's compromised. Well, you talk about open source as being immediately uh, knowing if it's been immediately compromised. Uh, we well, just well, had this... A, not immediate, but it's, it's documented. You know, you can see in the code that it's been manipulated. So, well, and, and I'm not ad, yeah. I'm not advocating for the technology. I'm just saying that if 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 anyone out there is promoting a, a proprietary solution, I I I am not. I'm pro, I'm pro, if if they had a path like that, it's got to be something that's open source, so that many many eyes on it are on it, not just the Secretary of State's eyes. Well, and let me remind uh, listeners that uh, for those, because I know a lot of folks have been calling for open source computer voting systems, let me just remind you uh, that, in fact, the OpenSSL uh, platform uh, that was recently found to be flawed, uh, hugely flawed on the internet, the encryption system called OpenSSL. Uh, that's the Heartbleed bug you, you talked about, and it was years before anybody noticed that this thing was completely open uh, to manipulation, and uh, I'm suggesting that open source in an election is not a panacea, and you know we would allow uh, elections to be flipped with computers, and we would not know about it for years, even if it's open source. David Curtis, one last question for you here on the topic that you and I went back and forth on some weeks ago uh, on the Twitters. Uh, Internet voting. Are you still in favor of Internet voting, as you mentioned uh, to me uh, on on Twitter that we talked about, despite the fact that uh, it is, as scientists will tell you, 100 percent unverifiable? Every single voting method is it can be compromised, even paper ballot. So that's just a reality. Um, I will say, again, the Green Party of California uses online voting for their internal um, general assemblies, and it works very well when, when there's any issue with it. Oh, how it differs from voting voting is it requires a gatekeeper. It, it requires a benevolent human. And that's the aspect that uh, Deborah Bowen pointed out, is she doesn't want a system that requires the trust of any human. Well, guess what? Paper voting requires the trust of many, many, many humans that are handing those papers around. So, so there is no perfect voting system. It, there just isn't. Uh, David, when it comes to paper ballots, uh, hand-marked paper ballots, for example, those that are hand-counted at the precinct on election night that are overseen by the public, by video cameras, by the media, by all the parties, uh, no trust is required. 
everyone in the community uh, can oversee those votes. That's what happened in the uh, hand-counted paper ballots from the Iowa caucus back in uh, uh, 2012. Uh, that's how they found out that the the results reported by the Republican Party were wrong because you had actual human beings overseeing it. Nobody needs to be trusted. Uh, and when it comes to Internet voting, uh, I, I'm surprised after all of the information that I had given you that that you still think uh, it, it's safe to vote on the Internet, despite the fact that uh, an no, Internet sir, vote can not, never be uh, overseen by anybody. I did not anybody. say it's safe to vote on the Internet. I did not say that. What I said was that I support people working towards the path of a technology platform as a mode of voting. We're not there yet. We may never get there. But I, I support people as you know, trying to get there. You know, it's like, do you support the concept of working toward the world like is portrayed in Star Trek? Sure. Are we there? No. Well, fair enough. Uh, I just uh, listen to the computer scientists and security experts who say it is impossible to ever uh, oversee a, a, an Internet voting uh, election. But I know that the Green Party likes it, runs them, uh, as you said, on some of their own internal elections. Uh, and you can read more about David Curtis's position uh, on all of these things at votedavidcurtis.org. And frankly, whether you and I agree or not, uh, I think it's an absolute outrage that the Sacramento Press Club kept you out of today's debate uh, for this important uh, election coming up in 2014. Uh, whoever is the Secretary of State is going to oversee the presidential election in 2016 in California and, as we've discussed, the voting systems in California that affect the entire nation. So good luck with your run, David Curtis. Uh, keep up the fight and uh, keep letting me know if any of these other debate organizations do not give you a fair shot, my friend. Thank you, sir. I'll be in the debate on May 6th in San Diego. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. That'll be televised. And I'm hoping millions of California voters agree with you and are also outraged at my exclusion. And that statewide primary is June 2nd. The uh, registration deadline out here in California is May 19. Get more information on David Curtis at votedavidcurtis.org. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's not easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. And people tend to pass you over because you're not standing out like flashy sparkles in the water or stars in the sky. Yeah, well, people pass you over because you're in the Green Party and they don't invite you to their debate. But green Brother. Color of spring. <sighs> Okay, we're going to take a quick break here and come back with much, much more, including Jason Leopold uh, on the uh, U.S. torture program architect and much more. And Desi Doyen, all of that is straight ahead right here on your broadcast. Stay tuned. More important, like a mountain, or tall like a tree. When green is all... Next time on L.A. Theatre Works, a tragedy filled with madness, melancholy, and dark humor. I am Salome, daughter of Herodias, princess of Judea. Back, daughter of Babylon. Come not near the chosen of the Lord. Salome by Oscar Wilde. Next time on L.A. Theatre Works. Thursday evenings at 7 on Southern California Pacifica Radio, KPFK.
Secrets straight ahead right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. Jason Leopold will be joining us in mere seconds to discuss his interview with the architect of the Bush-Cheney-era torture program. Uh, before I get to him, a couple of other secrets. Oh, one point I wanted to make uh, on the California Secretary of State's race uh, with uh, following my conversation with Green Party candidate David Curtis. The other candidates, the other the top five, uh, in addition to David Curtis, we mentioned State Senator Alex Padilla. Uh, he's currently leading the pack of Democrats um, uh, over former Common Cause official Derek Cressman, who is also in the race, um, as well as Republican candidate Pete Peterson and former Republican operative Dan Schnur. Uh, they all, those four are running along with uh, David Curtis for the Secretary of State. And while people think that, oh, California, it's so blue, this always goes to Democrats. Uh, newsflash for you. According to this field poll that found uh, David Curtis coming in third and being excluded from the debate anyway, um, currently leading the pack is Republican Pete Peterson with 30 percent of the vote, followed by Democratic State Senator Padilla with 17 percent. The top two vote getters in that June 2nd primary will go on to the November uh, general election. Speaking of the November general election and Democrats, um, (laughs) we we have been talking also on this show about Democrats whining and crying and saying, oh, we're going to lose the Senate and uh, much less we will never take the House. I don't know what polls these Democrats are reading. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know if they're paying attention to the success of Obamacare or not. But uh, more evidence that Democrats ought to stop their whining and start giving Americans something to vote for. Because currently, Democrats are leading Republicans by six points in a generic 2014 midterm election poll. Out from uh, Marist McClatchy. Uh, released Tuesday, found that 48 percent of registered voters would choose a Democrat if the congressional elections were held today. Forty two said they would support a Republican candidate. Six percent said they are undecided. So I thought there was going to be a big wave election for the Republicans. Apparently, the polls, at least when it comes to generic polling, say different. And yes, of course, Uh, The House is gerrymandered to with an inch of its life, but also statewide polls. Uh, A new round of polls conducted by The New York Times and the Kaiser Family Foundation have more good news for Democrats. Um, The polls released Wednesday. That's today found uh, Senator Mark Pryor, Democrat from Arkansas, leading Republican Tom Cotton, 46 to 36 percent in the race for Senate in Arkansas. In Kentucky, 
Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell barely leads Secretary of State Allison Lundergan Grimes by just one point, 44 to 43. And in North Carolina, Democratic Senator Kay Hagan is neck and neck with House Speaker uh, Tom Tillis, Republican uh, state uh, House Speaker there. In a matchup with Hagan getting 42 percent, while Tillis gets 40 percent. Also, Senator Mary Landro, a Democrat uh, from Louisiana, has a commanding lead over all of the folks she is challenging down there. So uh, I don't know what the Democrats are whining about. Maybe they ought to just start campaigning and start giving voters something to vote for. That's just me. Just my suggestion. Uh, Okay. Oh, man. Uh, Last week, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we read the 20 points of the findings from the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee's six-year study uh, on the Bush-Cheney-era torture and detention program. They like to call it enhanced interrogation program, but it was torture. That came out a week and a half ago, and not a single Sunday news show decided to uh, to report on it. We did here. We read all 20 points on air, again, trying to cover what the mainstream media doesn't seem to give a damn about, but what you need to know about. Speaking of a journalist who actually uh, covers things that you need to know about and so much of the mainstream media doesn't seem to give a damn, investigative journalist... Jason Leopold, formerly at truthout.org, now just about everywhere, including at The Guardian, where his latest fantastic scoop includes an interview with one of the architects of that Bush-Cheney-era torture program. Jason is the author of the L.A. Times bestseller News Junkie, a memoir. He's been called a FOIA terrorist for the string of amazing Freedom of Information Act requests he's been filing over the last year or so. And uh, they also yield often amazing results. Uh, Last week in The Guardian, a couple of stories on his interview with Dr. James Elmer Mitchell, the torture program architect uh, from the Bush-Cheney era that Jason bothered to uh, report on, even while the rest of the mainstream media couldn't find the time. Jason Leopold, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Thanks so much, Brad. I really appreciate that. Uh, really appreciate you bothering to report on this uh, on this <laughs> issue of torture. Uh, before we've got a couple of clips here that I want to play, uh, but sure. before we get to them, uh, your general impression of Dr. James Mitchell uh, from uh, talking to him, which I can't believe no one else did. Uh, did he strike you as a nice guy? How did you find him, and was he reluctant to talk to you at all? Uh, great questions. Uh, you know, I have been, I, I, I've been trying to interview him for almost a decade, Brad. And, uh, you know, the, the I, I do want to note that these are his first ever public comments. The first time that he's ever spoken extensively about, uh, you know, the torture program. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was, you know, frankly, a real coup for me yeah. to, to actually get him on the record. And this was just the right time. I mean, what I was struck by, uh, frankly, is the fact that he didn't hang, hang up on me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I called him out of the blue. I had his number. The Senate report was out there. We knew that, that the, uh, the CIA was sending out, you know, their, their former officials to defend this program. And so the time just felt right. And, and on a Friday, uh, as I was putting a, a report together, I knew that he was going to be in this Senate report. Um, I just decided to call him up, and I called him up at home, and 
you know, my, my, my goal was to keep him on the phone, was to keep him speaking. And, uh, I, I was sure that he would, you know, that, that he would hang up the phone and, and uh, he did. He, he decided to, to speak for two hours and he was very, very defensive. Uh, and, uh, so that wasn't really too much of a surprise. I mean, he, you know, as far as being a nice guy, sure. He, he seemed to be, you know, a very, uh, a very nice guy who, uh, uses the, you know, threat of terrorism, uh, to say that these programs, uh, are needed, that, you know, that, 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 that torture is needed. Uh, and, so he was very, very defensive of that. He was uh, really a bundle of contradictions. I want to play a, a clip or two here before I do, just to say he, uh, James Mitchell, he was uh, working. He was a bomb disposal guy. Uh, he says that he, he became interested in the type of people who would plant IEDs. Uh, and then he went off and became a psychologist and then uh, came back uh, to the Air Force where he retired and then while in retirement, somehow or another, I guess he was contacted by the CIA to come back and teach uh, or, or at least construct the program. Do I have this right, Jason Leopold, to, to construct the program yeah. for yeah, how right. we do uh, waterboarding based on his work as a psychologist uh, at the uh, survival school for military uh, people, teaching where he helped the troops learn how to survive torture and survive waterboarding, which was, you know, designed to get uh, false confessions and so forth. Correct. And so they thought this guy would be great to devise a program to use those same techniques to actually torture those uh, al-Qaeda and so forth who we, we were capturing during the Iraq and Afghanistan war. Exactly. Yes, that's that's correct. And and uh, he, along with uh, uh, a partner, uh, Dr. Bruce Jeffen, who they, uh, who also, uh, who he was also at the survival school with, uh, he later came on board as well. But uh, you know, just just so for for the listeners out there to give a little bit more context, James Mitchell is, uh, you know, Dr. Mitchell is is the one who personally waterboarded Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Oh, he did it himself. He did it himself. He didn't. He, he would not. You know, reveal that to me, but it's out there. He did it. He did it himself. Yes. Uh, he is. He says he's skeptical of this Senate Intel report that highlights uh, crimes, war crimes, uh, abuse, uh, you know, uh, incompetence in danger of national security, as described by the Senate. Uh, he says he is skeptical of that. Let me play a. And this guy seems to be a bundle of contradictions himself. But let me let me play a clip. A click quick clip from that. Uh, Dr. James Mitchell speaking with uh, Jason Leopold. I'm skeptical about the Senate report because I do not believe that every analyst whose jobs and promotions depended upon it, who were professionals, intelligence experts, all of them lied to protect the program. All of them were wrong. All these directors were wrong. All of the people who were using the intel to go get people were wrong. And 10 years later, a Senate staffer was able to, you know, put it together and finally there's clarity. I just am highly skeptical that that's the truth. So what what is he saying there, uh, Jason Leopold, that uh, he doesn't buy the findings from the Senate, that in fact uh, all of these programs were perfectly legal and uh, everyone thought so at the time, but only now uh, the Senate finds, oh, what do you know, they're not legal? 
Yeah, I mean, he's basically saying that, uh, uh, first of all, that he dismisses the report. He believes it's a political document. You know, this is, this is all partisan politics. Uh, uh, headed by by Democrats uh, during an election year, so uh, that that's you know one of the uh, reasons he's dismissing it. Uh, the other is he's claiming that uh, you know the he, he's disputing the one of the findings that the report did not lead to any sort of uh, um, actionable intelligence, that, or, or excuse me, the the torture of uh, high value targets did not result in you know actionable intelligence. So he's he's just you know through going going through these bullet points by saying you know, he he's dismissing everything and he's saying that more or less you know and it did work uh, which is not a surprise I mean he is you know the the architect one of the you know one of the chief architects of, of this uh, you know of this program and is and is very defensive of it uh, and uh, is he? he he's essentially. You know, uh, offering further insight is, is to, well, you know, after uh, all of these prisoners were captured, now you have the, the Senate investigators coming along, and and they discovered that that this was, you know, uh, that this program did not work. That it was not effective, uh, and that's something the CIA has been claiming for years. Oh, that's how we found uh, uh, Osama bin Laden thanks to these torture techniques, and the Senate report says that's frankly not true. James Mitchell disagrees, but here was uh, something else that caught my ear here, uh, Jason. Um, You know, as mentioned, these waterboard techniques and the survival school that uh, Mitchell taught at, uh, they were designed to uh, force confessions of false information, basically force false information. And somehow someone got the idea in the U.S. that we should use these techniques to supposedly get real information uh, from prisoners. Let me play this clip number four, and then I've got a question for you about it. Sure. What the Senate is asking you to believe is that the people who were looking at the data gathered from that program, take me out of the picture, the people who were looking at the data from that program, the people who were writing the intel and using the intel, and the directors... Four or five of those directors, however many it was in the, in the end of the thing, I think maybe four uh, of those directors, all were wrong. And that a handful of Senate staffers finally got it right uh, a decade later. And and actually, I, th- that was not the clip I was looking for specifically. The specific one was where he says, um, where he talks about the fact that the CIA... Uh, they all had to lie in order to uh, say that torture was effective, that everything that they had to lie, that everything that was going on before when the FBI was interrogating him, guys like Ali Sufan was peacefully working with him, uh, that those were all canceled, that those were working well, but those were all canceled and uh, in favor of these uh, enhanced interrogation procedures. He's saying the reason that those peaceful interrogations were canceled was because they were not working and that they had to bring in the CIA and these torture techniques. Is that what he is trying to say in this conversation? That's exactly what he's trying to say. And that's why this report, Brad, is so important, because, first of all, that's what the CIA has been saying for years. It's what it's what Republicans have been saying. It's what, you know, George Bush, Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney. They've all been saying that we have yet to see any real 
sort of documentary evidence that shows, hey, guess what? This did not work. You tortured uh, a person. You subjected them to uh, nearly a dozen torture techniques. And frankly, uh, you know, I've written a couple of other reports that, uh, you know, based on information that shows that, you know, the, the, the techniques went above and beyond the legal limits that were, you know, that, that were in place at the time. So it, it, it's, it's crucial to see that report because we have yet to see any real evidence that, that shows uh, that, in fact, you know, this did not work. Uh, and that's what everyone has been saying is that it did not work. And, and frankly, you have the, you know, you have the CIA, you have John Rizzo, the former general counsel of the agency, who's been out there giving a number of interviews, you know, saying that, uh, you know, they were withholding information, these high value targets. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, so it's, you know, Mitchell is obviously defensive of it. Well, and here's uh, what here's what Mitchell uh, said. By the way, I'm speaking with uh, journalist Jason Leopold about his uh, interview in The Guardian this week. Uh, here's a quote from Mitchell. He said, quote, you're asked to believe that he, Ali Soufan, he was the guy who was doing the, uh, the nonviolent interrogations and claims to have been getting information, uh, a lot of information from these guys before he was interrupted by the CIA who wanted to start the torture. So you're asked to believe that he, Sufan, was getting all of this great information, and then the CIA said, well, never mind. We're not interested in that information. We're not interested in the truth. We're going to do this other thing. Why? Because we're mean? That was what uh, Mitchell was uh, contending, that if the initial interrogation by the FBI was working, that the CIA would never have canceled it but he, and, and began the torture program instead. So here's my question, Jason. Yeah. That survival program that taught soldiers how to resist being coerced into false confessions and propaganda, the torture that they were supposed to withstand was uh, torture designed to make prisoners lie. And then exactly. we use yeah. that. Well, hang on. Here's my question. Then we decided, oh, let's use that uh, on the prisoners that we get, begging the question, Jason. And this is I don't know why this hasn't occurred to me previously, frankly. But is it possible that we did want to coerce them into lying, that that is why we had to do this torture program? Ali Sufan, the FBI, all of that was working out just fine and they were giving information, but we didn't want that information. We wanted the lie. We wanted them, wanted him to say that, you know, uh, Osama bin Laden was, was working with Iraq or whatever it was, and that that's why they used techniques that were made, that were created to make people lie. Is that why right, we yeah. use those programs? You know, I, I can't say, Brad, that that's, you know, that that's the reason that was what was going on in someone's head. I mean, you can certainly, one thing we'll certainly find out is this, when this report comes out, is that the, much of the early interrogations, uh, you know, the torture that was taking place, many of the questions that were asked were revolving around Saddam Hussein and Al-Qaeda. Right. And what link exists between uh, Iraq and Al-Qaeda, which was absolutely used to justify, you know, the, the invasion. Right. So... The interrogators I've spoken with, I've spoken to some other interrogators, and you know they said that there was a lot of pressure on them to uh, to produce these results. So it, it's it's important to also note that from the top, from Langley, they were being told time and again, keep torturing, keep torturing, keep torturing. We need that intel. They're withholding, you know, information. Right. Uh, and that's why so, I'm. Yeah. Go ahead. 
so so yeah so there's mm-hmm. you know there there's certainly uh evidence that you know uh, it it did result in false confessions whether that was the sort of the goal of it uh yeah, I, I really can't say whether, well, it's, whether or not that, that's, that was it. Well, it just occurs to me, they're getting all this information from these guys, and yet uh, they stop this interrogation that's working in order to go with the torture program instead. And yeah, I think that they wanted to tie them to uh, Saddam Hussein, and, and, and they just weren't doing it. So it's like, well, we'll torture it out of them. One more clip before we go here, uh, Jason Leopold, because this one was amazing. Speaking of how tortured himself this guy is uh, and, frankly, how confused he is on his facts. This is amazing. Uh, Clip number uh, five, where you ask him uh, if he thinks that uh, all the the to-do in the Senate report is all just about uh, politics and nothing more. Listen to the facts, quote-unquote facts, that he uses uh, to back up his case. Do you think it's just all politics? I mean, is it just, you know, left? It's all politics. I think these people really believe what they wrote. Both the reporters and the politicians have said it. The end sort of justifies the means. It's like Obamacare. Obamacare, I believe, if you just look at the data, there are more people uninsured now than there were before. Right. Prices went up. Virtually none of the things he promised were true. And yet he insists, and the whole organization insists that this is some sort of shining success. And it's the exact same thing. What they're trying to do is spin it in a way where the, the facts don't matter. Okay. Matters is the narrative they want to put out there. So they have a narrative and some talking points, and they're going to stick to it. Jason, the facts don't matter? <laughs> And yet he's talking about there are more uninsured people right. now than there were before Obamacare. The prices went up. All of these things that are patently untrue. It's like yeah. this. It's like this guy sits home and watch uh, Fox News, believes everything he he sees there, and he created the torture program right. for the United yeah. States of America. Yeah, this and this was, I think, within like getting into hour two of this interview. By the way, Brad, you know, because he also talked about. Uh, global warming, which he believes is a is a complete myth, it's a hoax. <laughs> that that uh, that you know the the uh, temperature has not gone up and you know, it's virtually stayed the same over the past seventeen years. So, you know, he 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 clearly has his own ideology. Uh, I mean, that's what makes it so fascinating to hear him speak. To actually let him, you know, you know, without getting into a debate with him, it was so important to just let this man speak. So people could understand who our government went to to design a program, to lead a program that, and you know, wh- where you would end up torturing people, and 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 claiming that you're you're doing it to obtain uh, uh, accurate intelligence to thwart terrorist attacks. If I have, this is the man that they went to. If I have to choose uh, between who knows their facts, the U.S. Senate in this case, or the guy who claims that uh, there's more people uninsured now uh, since Obamacare was passed, I think I'm going with the U.S. Senate in this <laughs> right. one. Jason uh, Le- Jason Leopold, yeah. great to talk to you. As always, thank you for following this story and for the other work you do as a journalist. Uh, I hear David Gregory may be out of a job soon. Maybe you can uh, uh, head meet the press and give us some real news on Sunday. Jason. I appreciate the support, Brad. Thank you very much. Thank you, brother. Check out his work uh, at The Guardian, the full interview uh, over there, uh, as well as on the Twitters at Jason Leopold. 
Worth following. Always a good follow on the Twitter. Thanks, Jason. Let's do some green news. Yeah, that's us. <laughs> you see what he did there? He he wore down the torture guy for two hours and finally got him to start telling the truth after How two ironic. hours. How ironic. Didn't even have to waterboard him once. Uh, hey, Desi Doyen, uh, welcome. We are, of course, running late. Yes. So we should get to our 500th episode of the Green News Report, which uh, happened to fall on Earth Day because I planned it when we uh, started doing the Green News Report <laughs> yeah, five right. years ago. This is exactly what I wanted to happen. Our very special 500th Green News Report. Kick it. It's our 500th episode of the Green News Report. Oh, and it's also Earth Day. All of those well-planned coincidences and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. If you talk to the, uh, the fossil fuel companies, they would say any type of restriction in what they do would lead us to an economic apocalypse. Uh, if you talk to the scientists, they say, by not doing it, we will have a climate uh, apocalypse. I guess my question is, which apocalypse should I prepare for? <laughs> you should prepare for the apocalypse of the 500th Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, it is, in fact, our 500th episode of the Green News Report. Yes, I believe we said that. It's also Earth Day. Yes, I believe we said that, too. But around here... Every day is Earth Day here at the Green News Report. It is the 44th annual Earth Day, the annual celebration reminding people to take care of the only known planet in the universe that supports life, our little life raft, and the vast emptiness of space. Yeah, 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 but more importantly... It's our 500th episode of the Green News Report. So I thought that we would take this short opportunity to uh, sort of look back on the genesis of the Green News Report, what the hell we've been doing, and where the hell we're going from here. Good idea. And, and I want to say that our very first episode, by the way, on February 17, 2009, you were sick as a dog, and I was uh, only slightly less sick. And here's how that first moment sounded. It's Tuesday, February 17, 2009. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. The stimulus <laughs> bill goes green. And so do we. Hysterical. Yes, you were sick. Also in our first episode... Our penchant for snarky comments was immediately very well established in a story that had to do with uh, salmonella and peanuts. Yep, here's what it sounded like. Peanut Corporation of America filed for Chapter 7 liquidation after two plants were raided and the investigators found filthy conditions. And he didn't Don't smile. There's nothing funny about salmonella. Well, I'm sorry. I or think dirty nuts. Let me just mention that. <laughs> so there you go. And the snarky comment was born. Yeah, where would we be without some snarky comment to help bring all this green news together? Well, you know, the fact of the matter is these are difficult stories to cover. You do a fantastic job explaining them, but Thank they're you. hard sometimes, I think, for people to hear. So finding the snarky side it helps. Yeah, I agree. And along the way, in, in doing the Green News Report over these last five years, we've discovered great new friends like, uh, like our friend D.R. Tucker. He's a former Republican columnist and a radio host who was himself a climate science skeptic until he actually read the science on climate change. And after that... Everything changed. Uh, he started realizing how he had been hoaxed by the right-wingers for all of these years. 
in advance of our 500th episode, DR started listening to our very first Green News report over the weekend, and he eventually ended up tweeting all 499 reports. We thought we'd give him a call and ask him what the hell he was thinking. So, uh, hey, DR Tucker, what the hell were you thinking? I just wanted to hear a, a great six-minute segment. Both of you are the pioneers of communicating the science and the stories about the consequences of climate change that the corporate media simply won't cover. And I just wanted to sort of pay tribute to your accomplishments and on this, the 500th episode. Yeah, well, that's very, very kind and way too nice, but thank you, we'll take it. Uh, is climate change coverage getting better in your observation over these past five years? Well, there seems to be slightly more coverage now than there was five years ago. Uh, the, the only problem is, is that in terms of people who put the extreme weather events that we've had in the context of climate change, it's you and not a lot of other people. I mean, that's, that's the remarkable uh, achievement that, that you guys have, that you've been able to do it consistently while so much of the mainstream media does it inconsistently and in some cases not at all. I mean, I mean you guys are like the anti-Chuck Todd, if you will. The anti-Chuck Tom. I like that. I will take that as high praise. Uh, Desi Toy, and I'll ask you the same question I asked DR. Do you think climate change coverage is getting better over the years, and is it making a difference? I think it's getting better. Not only is the corporate media finally starting to take notice of this climate science that's been going on for several years, but... Governments and people and communities and groups are working together and rising up and taking action on this. Ever the optimist, I think the climate itself is getting so bad that I think the coverage will get better because, frankly, I think the mainstream corporate media will have no choice but to cover it. That's both a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah. We started doing the original version of the Green News Report when I was sitting in as a guest host on the afternoon drive time show on the uh, San Francisco radio station Green 960. And I thought, well, why don't we actually do some Green News? You came in, read some Green News, I heckled you, <laughs> and that formula has pretty much stayed in place ever since. Congratulations on 500 episodes. And to you, too. Here's to 500 more. And thanks to all our affiliates and all of our listeners. Please stop by bradblog.com to help us celebrate this milestone. And yes, we still rely on your support to stay on your public airwaves. And we'll be back with a regular Green News report later this week. Sounds dull. Until then, <laughs> from bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your 500th Green News Report. Happy Earth Day. Yeah, did you hear that? Lighten up, America. My thanks to our soundboard operator, Nadia Richardson, today. Of course, our producer, Desi Doyen. My thanks to my guests, David Curtis of the Green Party. More information at votedavidcurtis.org. And, of course, Jason Leopold, now at The Guardian. Stay tuned for John Nichols on the 4 o'clock report with John Wiener on climate politics after Earth Day. We'll be back, same Brad time, same Brad channel next week. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog, and of course at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, America. <laughs> <laughs>